Good morning, everybody. I appreciate Pastor Jeremy getting everybody upset and angry just before I came up to have the opportunity to speak. You're welcome. But I am glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. For those I've not had the opportunity of meeting, my name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of the Mount Perrin North Marietta and Canton campuses. I'm out here about once a month to be with you, and it's not necessarily that you need me, but I love to be with you, so I get to come out, and Pastor Jeremy allows me that. So I appreciate that very, very much, and we are glad you're here, especially in this wonderful, wonderful showers of blessings. Everybody been blessed this morning with all the showers of blessings? Yeah, it's great that you came and, and to be with us. T t today we're going to talk from Philippians chapter 2. If you happen to have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to turn there. If not, all the scriptures we plan to talk about should be on the screen this morning. Going to continue in the series we began both at the Marietta campus and Canton campus last week out of Philippians, simply entitled, To Live is Christ. Let's pray one more time as we open our hearts to God's Word. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the rain. I thank you for the opportunity to be in shelter, the opportunity to be here for the purpose of engaging you and communing one with the other. I thank you for this place called Mount Perrin North Canton. All the wonderful volunteers, all the great servants that are out here every single week, early and late, to set up and tear down all the folks that call this their church home, those that are here that are in the process of really trying to figure where do you have them going to church. Wherever we are in that process, Lord, I pray today is just a great day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, to share your word. Lord, may it truly come from you. May I'm not here to perform. May it simply be your truth speaking to our hearts, changing our lives, transforming who we are, and all that we're about. We love you today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard the story of a guy that lived in Chicago. It was the dead of winter, snow on the ground, freezing cold, just miserable. He and his wife had the opportunity of relocating, or at least having a vacation time in Florida. And so he went down a day early because his wife was on a business trip. When he got down to their location in Florida, got to the hotel, he decided he was going to email his wife and just let her know the status. And so he cranks out this email but forgets the email address that she's located at where she's doing her business trip. So he tried to put it in from memory and he missed one letter. And instead of his email going to his wife, it went to another woman. It went to a widow whose husband had died the day before. His, her husband was a pastor. And so she came in that day just trying to get her mind off things opened up her computer to check her emails, read this man's email, screamed bloody murder, passed out on the floor. Her children came running in after hearing her scream, looked at the, at the computer screen, and this is what the email said. It said, Dearest wife, just checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. P.S. Sure is hot down here. Now, when you read an email or a text or a letter, it's important that you understand the context in order to really understand what's being communicated. Otherwise, you're going to misinterpret what is trying to be said. That's one of the things that makes reading the New Testament both challenging and compelling because the New Testament is primarily made up of letters. Thirteen of the letters of the New Testament are written by one man, and that man is called the Apostle Paul. One of those 13 letters that he wrote we call Philippians, and you have it turned there, and that's what we're going to talk out of today. And Paul writes this letter to the church at a city called Philippi, 
which in the day of Paul was located in northern Greece, where it would be located today. And it was a, not a huge city, but it was a strategic city to the Roman Empire. It was connected to Rome by the main thoroughfare, a highway that was a highway of commerce, and many merchants traveled that highway. So Philippi was a strategic city. Acts chapter 16 tells us the story of how the church at Philippi got started by the Apostle Paul. I encourage you sometime on your own, go take a look and read how that church got started. It got started in the home of a woman by the name of Lydia. Now Paul loved this church and he loved these people. These were very affectionate people towards him and people that he dearly cared about. They were supporters and intercessors and encouragers of him and all of his world travels and all of his world ministry. And when you look at this letter, Paul didn't write this letter we call Philippians to, for the main purpose of correcting some error or to teach some theology or doctrine, even though that is in this letter. He really writes this letter to show his affection to these people. It's really a love letter to them. He's expressing his gratitude to them because of their love for him. And in this letter, there are some pretty specific themes. One of those, I think Pastor Jeremy talked about it last week, is this theme of joy. Fifteen times in this letter, he uses a word for joy or a derivative of that word, the word joy or the word rejoice or the word glad. It's just filled with all kind of joy. Also in this letter, there's a lot of positive attitude and outlook that Paul is exuding within this letter. Now, when you think about that, that makes sense. These are people that he loves. So if he's writing to a group of people that he loves and loves him, you're going to think there's going to be a whole lot of joy. There's going to be a whole lot of positive outlook within this letter. However, you've got to understand the context. You see, Paul writes this letter from a Roman prison cell, and he's in prison because of preaching and teaching Jesus, and he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be executed. And when you get the context of that, then you begin to think, then why so much joy in this letter? Why a positive outlook that he seems to write in this letter? I mean, he's on death row. And I don't know how many people on death row write a letter filled with joy and filled with a positive attitude. But Paul does. Why? How can he have this kind of attitude? I kind of boil it down to one statement that Paul makes in the opening of his letter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says this. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul gets down to this. He says, whatever happens to me, Philippians, good or bad, I have settled the issue on what my life is about. My life is about a life that's going to be worthy of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's how I believe Paul really gets to a place where he can have joy in such a very challenging time because a lot of things were happening. There were people who were out there preaching and teaching Jesus Christ in false motives and selfish ambition that was causing difficulty for Paul in prison as well as he doesn't know whether he's going to die within the next moment or not if they're going to take him out and execute him. And he basically says to all of that, whatever happens in the next moments, it could be the joyous of joys in my life, it could be the tragedies of tragedies in my life, I'm not going to get caught up in all of that because I've settled the issue of what my life is all about. My life is going to not to be defined by the sorrows and the joys of my life. My life is defined in that my life is going to be one that is worthy of Jesus Christ. Man, what a place to live. I mean, you would have a real positive attitude if that really is what we were grounded in. That if we don't know in the next five minutes what's going to happen in our lives, it could be the tragedy of tragedies that happens in the next five minutes. It could be the greatest joys of all. 
But man, to come to a place where I can say, whatever happens, I've settled the issue of my life. It's going to be one that honors Jesus Christ. That's the place of joy. That's the place of a positive attitude, no matter what. And Paul really begins to talk about attitude. In chapter 2, he begins to talk about an attitude that he wants the Philippians to have. Now, in our day and time, when we hear the word attitude, it almost has a negative connotation. We things like, say things like, well, she's got an attitude. Or as a parent, we look at our child and say, don't take that attitude with me. Do I have any parents in the room that know what I'm talking about? And it takes on a negative connotation. But when Paul's writing it, Paul is writing from a way of saying, hey, this is the attitude that I'm trying to adopt in my circumstances And it's an attitude, Philippians, that I want you to look to adopt. And what is this attitude? This attitude that Paul begins to lay on them and say, here's where I want you to to, to take on in your life, is is an attitude that I just simply call other-mindedness. It's an attitude of other-mindedness. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's a word for this morning. And here's what Paul writes, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. There's that joy theme. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He is is laying out this other-minded attitude to them. He talks about having humility towards one another. He talks about seeing one another better than yourself. He talks about looking to somebody else's interests other than your own. He talks about being like-minded. He talks about doing everything you can to be in unity with one another. It's this other-mindedness. And what's interesting about this to me is that Paul would adopt such an attitude given his circumstances. Paul could have taken on any kind of an attitude. He could have taken on the attitude of, why me, God? He could have said, is this my reward, Lord? Is this my thanks? All the things I've done for you, I've been out serving you, preaching and teaching you, and I end up in prison facing execution. That's my reward. Thank you so much. Why me, God? He could have taken on, woe is me. He could have been very uh, in self-pity and feeling very sorry for himself. He could be whining and complaining and just listing all the things that are difficult in his life. He could have taken on a very self-righteous attitude. He could have said, look how I'm suffering for the Lord. Look at how spiritual I am. I'm I'm doing so much for Jesus, they had to put me in prison to try to shut me up. Look Look at how great I am. He could have taken on all these attitudes about himself, but the deal is Paul doesn't even make it about himself. He makes it about the Philippians. He talks to them. In fact, Paul writes this letter. One of the main reasons is he's concerned about their concern for him. He's worried about their worry for him and what he's going through. He's writing to alleviate their fears. He's writing to try to calm their anxieties because it's about them. This humility, this looking to other people's interests, this seeing people better than ourselves, this like-mindedness. And you know what? We all know this. We all know these qualities that Paul talks about, this other-mindedness. Is, it makes for the best marriages. It makes for the best family relationships. We know these qualities make for the, for the, for the best workplaces. They make for a better society, make for a better world. We all know that. Regardless of our spirituality, regardless of how many followers of Christ and non-followers of Christ we have in the room, we all know these types of qualities 
Make for better relationships. Make for a better society. We all know that. So I'm not going to stand up here and go through a dissertation of trying to explain what these qualities are. Because for me, when I look at what Paul writes here, it's not so much the what, but it's the why. Why this type of attitude? Why do we want to be other-minded? Is it just so I can have a good marriage? Is it so so we can have a better family? Is it just so we can have a better workplace or a better world? No. Paul basically says why we want to have this attitude is to glorify Christ. That's the purpose. That's the motivation behind it. Because here's what he says in verse 5 of chapter 2. The very next verse, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Read that out loud with me, please. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He's saying the reason is because this is the attitude of Christ. The reason we want to take on these qualities, the reason we want to treat other people this way, the reason we want to have these kind of relationships is because it glorifies Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the primary purpose. That's what he said a moment ago that we looked at. That I want to live a life that's worthy of Jesus Christ. I want to honor him. That's the, the reason. Man, yes, it makes for a better marriage, a better relationship. It makes for a better world, a better society. And those are all legit reasons. But man, there's a higher calling and there's a higher reason for you and I to want to live this way because it glorifies the Lord. It's about Christ. It's about Him. And you're sitting there going, Pastor Mark, those qualities you listed are tough enough. And now you're going to throw Jesus into the mix? we got to do this because it's about Jesus? That doesn't make it any easier. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't necessarily. Yeah, putting Jesus in the mix may make it even a little more complicated in some respects. It's like the story I heard of the two little boys, the two brothers that were arguing on a Saturday morning on who gets the first stack of pancakes that their mother was making for breakfast. And the older, little, the older boy said to his younger brother, said, Billy, I get the stack of pancakes first. You got it first last time. And Billy says to Johnny, no, I get the stack of pancakes first because you got them first last time. And they're arguing back and forth who gets it first. And finally the mother had enough of it, turned around and wanted to turn it into a spiritual life lesson and says to them, boys, what would Jesus do in this situation? They kind of just stared at her. She said, Jesus would let the other person go first. That's what Jesus would do. She turned back around, thought she had really made her point, got the stack of pancakes, put it on the table, and the older brother says to the little brother, said, Billy, I'll let you be Jesus first this time. <laughs> so even with Jesus in the mix, sometimes... You're thinking, man, i got to live up to that. But here Paul does something, and this is what I want to drill down on. I really want you to look at this with me this morning. Because Pastor Jeremy was really nailing it a moment ago as he was leading us into that prayer time about Christ's investment in this process. Because Paul really talks about that when he talks about the attitude of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 6, he says, Who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature God, meaning he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when we look at what Paul writes here, this is dripping. These verses 6 through 12 here, dripping with theology, dripping with doctrine. He talks about the pre-existence of Christ, that Christ has always been alive. He talks about the fact that Christ is God. He talks about the fact of the incarnation, that Christ became God in the flesh. He talks about the crucifixion, the cross, and the redemption there. He talks about how Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In essence, he's the supreme ruler of everything. I mean, it is dripping with doctrine. But that's not the reason he writes it. He writes it to display this attitude of Christ. This other-minded attitude of Christ for us to see it, what that really is. And I want to try to walk and break this down so we can see it. Baby, do you mind handing me my umbrella? It's right underneath the... This is going to be a pointer. I'm glad it rained. I got a pointer. Can you... Because here's the deal. I want you to see this. I want you to see what happens here. Here's what we have in what, in what Paul's writing. You have a combination of things happening here. You have Christ's choice. Hey, that works pretty good, huh? Christ's choice. And the Father's work. You have a combination of things. And so, because this, this is how the Lord is invested in the transformation He wants to bring into our lives so that we can glorify God with our lives, especially in this other-minded type of attitude. Christ's choice. Let's begin there. He was God. Fully God. Totally God. Is God. It says He's the very nature God. But He made a choice. As God, He made a choice to become human. He took a lesser position. He became human. He didn't cease to be God. Paul says he took on the very nature of a man, the very nature of a human being, meaning he identifies completely and totally with our humanity. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. He never lost his godness, and he became a human, equal to God, but he chose by his own will to submit himself to the Father. Many of you are going to go to work tomorrow. Many of you, if you're not the boss, you have a boss. And even bosses have bosses in some respects. You and your boss, you are equal in terms of, as human beings, you're equal in nature, you're equal in worth, you're equal to that. You are as human beings. But when you go to work, you're making a choice. You're making a choice to submit yourself to the authority of that boss. Even though you're equal to him or her, you're making the decision to submit yourself to him or her. And that's what Jesus Christ does. Out of his own desire, his other-mindedness for us. He does this for you and me, but also for a, 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 real per, a real reason that we want to see that has to apply to our lives as well. He chooses to become human. Now, he could have been any human being in the world. He could have been the most powerful human being. He could have been the most privileged human being. He was God after all. He could have had all, he could have been a tyrant, he could have been a despot, he could have everybody serving him, but what kind of human being did he choose to become? A servant. Said he was in the form of a slave. He came in service to all. He came to serve the humanity that he created as God. Of all the human beings he could be, he chose to be a servant. And then he chose the most supreme service of all, he went to a cross. The height of servanthood. It says he obeyed his father to the place of the cross. The lowest place. In the time of Christ, when someone died on a cross, 
It was considered the most shameful, heinous act. They were considered to be cursed. It was one of the most dishonoring things you could do. Christ, as this servant who had chosen this for you and me, was willing to go to this place. This is the choice of Christ in his other-mindedness. Now, let's see the Father's work in Christ's choice. He makes him ruler of all. It says that God the Father exalted him to the highest place, made his name above every name. In his servanthood, he became ruler of all. As a human being, he became Lord of all. His name is above every name. The Father exalts him to that place. Every knee, every human knee, it says. Every human tongue and even tongues that are below the earth and above the earth, meaning spiritual beings, are going to kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ and confess that he is God. Confess he is Lord of all. He is the supreme God. The Father's work is that he took Christ in his choice and exalted him to the highest place. That the rulership and the lordship and the supremacy of Christ would be released in this earth, released into you and I through the work of the cross and the resurrection that you and I might be glorified. Because why did Jesus ultimately do that? What did Paul say? This was done for the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ's main purpose for making this choice was to glorify His Father. And what did the Father do? He glorified Christ in return. The reason you and I want to take on the nature and attitude of Jesus Christ is not because it makes us better people. It's not because it makes us better marriages. It's not because it makes us better relationships or a better world. It's because it glorifies God the Father. Give Him praise if you want to give Him praise. That's the reason and the beauty of it is God releases into our lives as we choose this path. He releases the rulership, the lordship, and the supremacy of Christ as we glorify Him. Guess what? He glorifies us. We don't become supreme gods. He's the only supreme God. We become the highest human beings you can become in this earth. We reach that full God-designed status as we walk through this. So how does this attitude get developed? How, how can I live in that place? Well... I would simply say this, keep on making the choice. Say that with me. Keep on making the choice. One more time. Keep on making the choice. What in the world am I talking about? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse um, 12 with me, please. Right after he's, he's talked about this is the attitude of Jesus. This is, this is the choice path he made and the Father's work. Look what Paul says next. Therefore, say therefore. What he's saying, based on what I've just shared with you. 
based on this attitude of Christ, based on this other-mindedness that I, I want you to take a hold of, seeing that, that it glorifies God, therefore, my dear friends, as you always have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, say continue, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What in the world is he talking about? Look what he says. Continue to work out. To me, keep on making the choice. What choice? To honor Jesus Christ in all I do. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So we see once again, as we saw before, take me to the chart, please. Daryl, thank you. What did we have? We had the combination of Christ's choice and the work of the Father. It's the same with us. As you and I choose the path of Jesus Christ, we choose Him, His nature, and we choose to reflect Him, to glorify Him in all we do, in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, our parents, in our workplaces, in all we do, we choose this path. This is our choice. As we choose this path, we can know that the Father's work is in us. When Paul says work out your salvation, hear it very clearly. He did not say work for your salvation. He said work out your salvation. This that we have in Christ. Christ goes to the cross so that you and I could have this relationship with the Father. That's all freely given to us. We can't earn this. We can't earn this place in the Father. We can't earn that. That is freely given to us in Jesus Christ. And we talk about salvation. We talk about several facets. We talk about making a decision to follow Christ. We're asking Him to be the Savior of our lives and to lead our lives. When we sincerely do that by faith, receiving this, this, this gift from God by grace, sins are forgiven. Christ comes in us by the Holy Spirit. We take on His nature. His nature now becomes a part of us. And we are positioned at the highest level in Him. Ephesians tell us that we, have, we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And the Father actually looks at us, positionally, the Father looks at us through Jesus Christ. He looks at us as if we've never sinned. He looks at us through the cross. And we stand before Him as if we never sinned. How cool is that? That's what we get with salvation. When Paul says, work out your salvation... He's talking about practically in everyday life. He's talking about keep choosing the path. Keep moving forward in who you are. It's, we talk about maturing in the Lord. We talk about growing up in Christ. We talk about His nature becoming more of our nature. How many of you, the Lord's done with you? All right, that's what Paul's talking about. Man, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep walking in who Jesus is. And you know, this, we, we, we got to learn this, man. This, this is not, it's, it's, this is tough because our tendency is to make it all about us. I want to be the supreme God of my life. I want to be Lord over all in my life. I want to be ruler. got to keep choosing to walk with Jesus. I mean, 
I mean, if we were born with this kind of nature, who'd need parents? How many of you, your children, are born with this? Not a hand in the room. Yeah, I've got a two and a half, well, she's older than two and a half granddaughter. The only perfect grandchild on the planet. Not. She's a strong-willed cuss. Love her to death, man. I love to have papa moments, and, and, and my wife loves to have mimi moments with our, with our granddaughter. But man, she can throw a fit in a moment. You don't see it coming. It's the most demonic thing I've ever seen in my life. Unbelievable. I'm talking about my granddaughter. And Justin, our son, and Amanda, our daughter, they're working with her, obviously. You have to discipline children at this age. And they were telling a story that they had to discipline Kennedy. She had talked real mean or something, and so they disciplined him. What part of their disciplining process is timeout. She'd been in timeout. Justin came in after a time that she'd been in timeout and just turned, flipped the light switch. And Kennedy looked at him and said, don't do that. Then she said, or you can do whatever you want. <laughs> what? She's getting it. She, she, she's getting it. We may respond to God with this. I don't like that. Or, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. We're getting it. I got I to gotta keep... I, is this making sense? I hope this is making sense. I feel like I'm involved in a dance routine or some kind up here. I, I got to keep moving forward. We're not there yet. In fact, in chapter 3 of Philippians, and maybe Pastor Jeremy will be talking about it next week, Paul makes a statement. I believe it's around verses 14, 15. You can read it throughout, throughout this week. He says, about all of this, he says, I haven't obtained all this. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining what lies ahead, I press on, he said, towards the mark to which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not there yet. How God sees me now is not where I am yet. I'm going to keep pressing forward. Now here's something I don't want you to think. I don't want you to get this. Don't get the idea that God meets me halfway. That once I've been able to accomplish all this, then God will kick in. That's not what Paul said. He said... Continue to work out your salvation, fear and trembling. Fear and trembling means in awe, respect. It means in great reverence. The idea of trembling there is an excited anticipation. You ever been excited so much about what's going to happen, you get to shake, and that's what he's talking about there. He's not talking about being in horror or afraid of God. He's talking about in great reverence and awe and respect of God, of what God is going to do in your life as you continue to want to glorify him, have an anticipation and an excitement about that because God's going to work. But then he says... It's God who is working in us to will and act according to His purpose. See, the Father, by the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ, 
He's empowering us to make these steps. He's enabling us to make these choices. He's working within us to help us make these decisions and move this way. Don't think it's all me doing this and then he kicks in. No, the rulership and the lordship and supremacy of the Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit is at work in us, enabling us and empowering us and moving us forward in the way that God wants us to go. Does that make sense? That's what Jeremy was talking about a moment ago. He's invested in the process. It's not he meets us halfway. He's helping us do it. And guess what? When we blow it, when it's all about us, when I've been rude to that wife or that husband or my father or my mother, when, I, when it's been all about me, it isn't really how to reflect the glory of God. He doesn't just leave us and depart from us. He's there with us to help clear it up. And that's the beauty of God. That's why, as Paul said, I want a life that's worthy of Jesus Christ. It's for His glory. It's for His glory. Because I know He's not going to walk away from me. No matter how much, I'm botching it up. Now, there may be consequences as I mess up in here, but he's going to walk me through them. He's not going to pull himself away from me. Here's the beauty of what happens as this happens. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me quickly. Look what Paul says. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, there's a sermon in and of itself, complaining and arguing. But I'm not going to complain about it. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Look at that. Can you, can you go back to the chart for me, Daryl? I know I'm backing you up a little bit. Look what he said. He says, as this is more and more happening in your life, as this is more and more happening in my people, you shine like stars. In a dark, crooked, and depraved generation. I did a little research on stars. I'm, I'm no astronomist or whatever you call those guys. I'm not that. But Wikipedia tells the truth, right? I mean, Wikipedia is the place to go. It always, everything is right about it. My understanding of a star is it shines inside out. It's just this big ball of plasma. And it shines inside out from its core... It generates energy, which creates light that traverses through the star and illuminates out of the star to light up the darkness. In other words, stars shine from the inside out. This is all about transforming us from the inside out. And in a generation... Where it's all about selfies. How much can I get my... I don't, I don't want to beat up people that get on Facebook. I get on Facebook from time to time and Twitter and all that stuff. I don't want to get on... I mean, it's fine. It's of God. There's no problem with it. But how many of us or people you know when they put out something up, they're looking, how many likes did I get? How many comments have I received? Am I trending? Did I get retweeted? Am I talking to anybody in the room? In a generation 
that's all about us, a generation where it's all about what I want, a generation where it's all about what, what my interests are. Man, when they see people that are willing to give up one for the other, when they see people that are willing to sacrifice to the lowest of levels for the better interest of somebody else, when they see husbands and wives doing that with one another, children to parents, parents to children in the workplace, when they see this, what are they seeing? They are seeing this. They are seeing the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming forth in His people. This is what heals a broken world. This is what heals marriages. This is what heals parent-child relationships. This is what brings wounds and minds wounds together. It's that right there. That ends wars. This stops ISIS in the long run. See, when I live in a place of other-mindedness, by the help of God, to the glory of Christ, it positions me to be a person of thanksgiving because I realize it ain't about me, it's about Him. I become a more thankful person. It positions me to be a person who's willing to grant forgiveness. It's very difficult to live in this place and not understand this. When I live this way, when this is about becoming who I am to the glory of the Lord, it puts me in a place of repentance. I'm quicker to accept my wrong. I'm quicker to go to you and apologize and say I'm sorry. See, it's in bowing down to one another. Our lives and relationships get exalted to the highest place in God. I'm going to invite the band to come up real quickly. I don't even know how long I've preached. I don't know, I've worked up a good sweat, I can tell you that. Dave Reaver. That name may be familiar to some of you. Dave Reaver fought in the Vietnam War. He now speaks all over the country, all over the world. Spoke a lot in high schools and colleges and elementary schools throughout a lot of his ministry. He does a lot with the military. But while he was in battle in Vietnam, he tells the story that he had a phosphorus hand grenade. He was just in the process of launching it and had it back by his ear when a sniper bullet hit him in the hand, blew up. That hand grenade right beside his face. His face and head caught on fire. His whole body. Terribly, terribly wounded. He survived and today he plays the piano. He's a very good musician. If you ever see him, his reconstructed face and everything, he can actually take off his ear. I guess that's good at parties. I don't know. I guess it works. <laughs> but when he's playing, he'll take off his ear and start playing the piano. And he says, see, I'm playing by ear. That's his joke. But after this happened to him, he had this grotesque-looking face and body. And in his book called Welcome Home, Davy, he says this. He says, when I looked in the mirror, I saw a monster, not a human being. He said, my soul seemed to shrivel up and collapse in on itself, to be sucked into a black hole of despair. I was left with an indescribable and terrifying emptiness. I was alone in the way souls in hell must feel alone. 
Then he goes on to say that I had to get back to the States. And when they took me back to the States, my greatest fear was meeting my young bride, Brenda. I didn't know what she would say, what she would do, that she would be horrified of me. And he says, just before Brenda arrived, I watched the wife of another burn victim tell her husband she wanted a divorce. She couldn't handle the stress. She couldn't handle the way he looked. And right there, divorced him. He said, my fear was beyond measure. He said, then Brenda walked in the room, showing not the slightest tremor of horror or shock. She bent down and kissed me on what was left of my face. Then she looked into my good eye, smiled and said, welcome home, Davy. I love you. To understand what that meant to me, you have to know that's what she called me when we were most intimate. She would whisper Davy over and over in my ear. By using her term of endearment for me, she actually said, You're my husband. You'll always be my husband. You'll always be my man. Because a wife and her other-minded spirit towards her husband, she bowed down and kissed this grotesque face. And in that act of humility and other-mindedness, she actually heals her husband. He actually is freed. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and bowed down for you and me to the most grotesque of deaths so that you and I could be elevated to the highest place in God that we can ever, ever have. To the glory of God. That's the place of magical marriages. That's the place of wonderful homes. That's the place of great workplaces. That's the place of a great world. A people to the glory of God who will bow to the lowest level in order that someone else might be exalted to the highest place in Jesus Christ. That's the place. What's your home life? What's your marriage life? What's your workplace life? Where are you on this path of choice? And who Jesus Christ is for you and where you are in Him. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I know I've said a lot and I don't know how much of it has made sense. I pray something has. But I pray the Holy Spirit is just speaking to hearts in this room. Where are you? What's your attitude? Attitude towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your co-workers, towards your neighbors, towards church, other church members, this community of faith. Is it an attitude that glorifies Christ? Only you and He know that. And I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray and ask God for every relationship in this room to just truly manifest the attitude of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name,
We know we fall way short. We know we have a long way to go to get to the place that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you walk with us. Thank you that you empower us. Thank you that you energize us to be who and what Jesus is. Thank you that we don't walk along. Thank you that you have invested. Father, I pray for every marriage, every parent-child relationship, every workplace relationship, every neighbor relationship, every church relationship, whatever it may be. God, I pray in Jesus' name that the attitude of your son is taking root in those relationships for one purpose, to your glorification, to your honor and your exaltation, God. I pray for the Canton campus. I pray for the Marietta campus. I pray we will be a people, individually and corporately, that shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. I pray that the greatness of God, of you, Lord, gets reflected in the other-mindedness of Christ being established within us. I pray for healed marriages and healed homes and healed workplaces. God, I thank you. I thank you. You never fail and you never give up. Let it be so within each and every one of us. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.